episode 385, Fear, Risk and Reward. Double Olympic medalist, Jonathan Horton. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Hi, I'm Adam Lewis Walker, host of Awaken Your Alpha, the number one men's development podcast that is also a best-selling book, Awaken Your Alpha, Tows and Tactics to Thrive, and also a TEDx talk, Awaken Your Alpha, How to Rise Up. You can see a theme here, but please do check these out. If you like the talk, if you like the podcast, you will love the book. The book is the best of the best, and it's available on Amazon as a coach and implementer. I'm here for you. I've got your back. Get to the podcast. It's important to really remember that you create your own arena, your environment, not just your physical environment, but just as importantly, your mental environment. This episode is sponsored by The Arena, the men's only membership community that really will enhance all and everything you're doing. Dig deeper into the effective model, philosophy and strategies. Ultimately, it's that mindset and philosophy to fulfillment and the art of living. That's mental toughness and strength going forward as a man. Stepping into the arena was what it's all about. This is going to be 10x the value. And for the founding members, please do go and check this out. This is a huge opportunity to get in at the ground floor. That's ayalpha.com forward slash arena. Get to the podcast. Okay, this week, it's always about high performance, but sometimes you really have someone who just, in your mind, is just the definition of high performance. So we have Jonathan Horton on the line. He is a two-time Olympic gymnast, speaker husband and father, and an Olympic medalist. He's got two medals, which we're going to talk about. So silly question, but I always ask it. Jonathan, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? I'm ready, man. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Awesome. So that was quite a brief introduction. What are you all about at the moment? Well, I guess the best introduction for me is just exactly what you said. I'm known for my Olympic experience. I was at the 2008-2012 Olympics. And then I'm also known as a uh, one of the competitors on the popular TV show, American Ninja Warrior. So I've been on five seasons. I'm heading into my sixth season. But other than that, you nailed it. You know, I speak around the country. I'm a husband and a father of two kids. And that's my life. Well, we're definitely going to, you remind me about the Ninja Warrior thing, because that's something I, uh, I'm interested in, because I, I really want to even just compete in it at one stage. It got a bit of a dodgy knee, but I think it's doable. Um, so <laughs> talk to us a little bit about your origins, because obviously it's, it's nice now to just throw out two-time Olympus, uh, Olympian and medalist, but obviously to get that is a huge journey. So where are you originally from? Where are you speaking to us from today? And uh, what did you want to be when you'd grown up? Were you just like, gymnast the whole way or tell us a little bit about that yeah so i i I grew up in houston texas and still live here with my wife and two kids um i'll actually tell you a pretty ridiculous story and it's in my book that i just wrote about my life um so when i was four years old my parents put me in gymnastics because of an absolutely outrageous moment that happened in the middle of a store so i was a super rambunctious like add kid um just very hyperactive like i'm not even kidding i used to have a little backpack with a leash attached to it like i was a dog because my parents if they didn't have that i just i ran away anyways my mom forgot that backpack one day took me shopping with her and uh while we were in the middle of the store i took off and did my own thing she couldn't find me anywhere and so about 10 minutes later after panicking the manager of the store came up to her and said ma'am i found your son and he pointed to the ceiling and said he's up there (laughs) <laughs> and there was a giant support beam in the middle of the store that I climbed to the ceiling about 25 feet up. Um, and so 
I was just hanging out. Anyways, my mom told my dad about it that night. My dad was like, wow, our son is kind of a freak. We should put him in a sport. And they ended up putting me in gymnastics the next day, thinking that I was going to be some crazy good athlete. And the truth is, I wasn't really that naturally gifted in the beginning. Um, I had a lot of hard beginnings. I wasn't that prodigy that a lot of people would expect an Olympic athlete to have been. And I, I never won anything. I, I, uh, I really stuck with the sport because I had a passion for it and I loved it. But it was very discouraging because I didn't actually win my first competition until I was almost 16 years old, 12 wow. years after. Yeah, 12 years after I started. Talk about assumptions because when you come across gymnasts or anyone at high level, there's a very tendency to just, without digging in, to just assume they're kind of just been a, a prodigy, like you say, just like yeah. noticed early and then just everyone's like, oh my goodness, like they could tell you was going to be an Olympic medalist when you was like six or something. But yeah, this and, is interesting. And, you know, I had a lot of energy and, you know, I wasn't the strongest. I wasn't the fastest, but I also wasn't the weakest and slowest. I had some talent, yeah. but I was, uh, I think because of my, my, um, just how hyperactive I am, I'm a very slow learner. It's like, I have a hard time focusing and paying attention. And so my coach used to yell at me every day, focus and pay attention. It's like, he was trying to get it into my head. And I think that's why I was slow to learn. And then when I got a little bit older, a little bit more mature, I was able to figure things out. But if I had stuck with gymnastics because of my success level, I would have quit long ago. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was much older that I st- things started to click for me. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of people are very surprised to hear that. Wow. When did it mentally start to click for you that you thought, actually, this could, this could go somewhere? Yeah, so I w- around the age of 13, I started to kind of come into my own ways of doing things. Um, and then I found, found myself squeaking into like the top 10, maybe top five at competitions and feeling like I was on the right track. And then when I was um, 15 years old, like I said, almost 16, I actually won a major competition um, called the Junior Nationals. And then it's like, Everything just clicked, came together. Next thing I knew, I was one of the best gymnasts in the country. Um, So when I was 18 years old, I was the youngest competitor at the United States Olympic Trials. Didn't make the Olympics. Um, But then I got a full scholarship to the University of Oklahoma, where I won national titles. And then really people see kind of my rise to the top in the sport. And they're like, wow, it was easy for you. (laughs) But it wasn't wasn't easy at all. Because I remember the first 12 years of my career being so frustrated and then all of a sudden, like, oh, here, this is who I am. This is how I'm supposed to do it. And I just, I started succeeding. At that age, when you were still young and it started to click, what event at that point did you think, oh, because obviously you have the all-round stuff and then you have certain individual events, which we're going to talk about that you won in. But at that stage, did you sort of think, oh, this is the one. I'm going to like smash this one. I'm really good at this one. And is it different to the one you got a medal in? <laughs> so, I'll, uh, well... It's not. I was like giving it away. <laughs> it's not. The, it's not different than the one I got at medal. And so I'll, t- I'll try to make the story as fast as possible because it is a long story. But <laughs> when I was 13, my wor- my two worst events out of the six events in men's gymnastics were the pommel horse and the high bar. Um, oh. I, was, I was terrible on the pommel horse, and that never really changed. I was I, even at the end of my career, I was horrible. That is uh, a weird thing, though. I mean, I, I did a little bit of gymnastics. I was like three till nine. I was dedicated like mad for it, but. Yeah, the pommel horse is a weird one. <laughs> it's an awkward event. Like, uh, you know, Great Britain's Max Whitlock, who's won the Olympics on pommel horse. I don't understand how he does it. He does. It defies. And, it, and even when it's done well, there's points in it where you're like, oh, that looks a bit, like you said, it's quite an awkward event. <laughs> it, it's just strange, and I never figured it out well. I was able to get by, but not well. 
And so my other bad event was high bar. I was just, I was a little scared of it. Um, the other kids in the gym were doing things that I just couldn't wrap my mind around. And one day I was watching some of my like Olympic heroes on TV. And this guy was swinging around the bar as fast as he could. He let go of the bar. He did a double backflip above the bar, about 15 feet in the air. He stuck his hands out and he caught the bar. Now, this was, you know, in the 1990s that I'm watching gymnastics on TV. And I'd never seen anything like that before. And I told my coach about it the next day. And he said, he looks at me and he goes, oh, yeah, that's a pretty rare skill called a Kovacs. Very few people can do it. It's one of the hardest skills to ever be done in gymnastics. And I said, cool, how, how do I learn one? Oh. <laughs> and me not being very good on high bar, my coach looks at me and goes, uh-uh, you're maybe even when you're, maybe when you're maybe like the best of your possible ability, you still might not be able to do one of those. And there was something about that skill that I just looked at and I was like, if I just go really fast and let go at the right time and flip, I can do it. <laughs> Easy. There we go. I'm gonna get... <laughs> and all my teammates and my coaches, they thought I was a lunatic. So <laughs> one, one day I just went for it and I was 13 years old and I tried it a bunch of times and everybody, they were like shocked that I was trying it. Luckily, oh the most important part was that I wasn't dying in the process <laughs> and I didn't catch it, but I came into the gym the very next day, my second day to try it. And I caught the bar and still to this day, I'm the youngest person in history to ever learn a Kovacs on the high bar. Whoa. And so I just like, something told me like, you're meant to do this skill. Even though it's not what normal people do your age, even like the best of the best don't do it, but you can do it, John. And I just had this feeling. And so I started to develop a routine. Talk about focus and drilling on, you know, not even just on one event, but just on one skill. That's, you know, wow. Well, and then next thing I know, I get this idea. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of terrible at everything else on this event, but this one skill, maybe there's a way to do different variations of it, maximize my ability. And it came with a lot of, um, uh, a lot of the coaches from around the country. They were like, no, that's impossible. You'll never be able to do a routine like that. It's too hard. It's too complex. It's too risky. Yeah. And they were right for a while. I wasn't able to do it. I, <laughs> I would fall all the time. And then by the time I was 18 years old, um, I was the number one gymnast in the country on high bar. And wow. I'll never forget the day that um, the US team had a training camp with the Japanese team. And I did this routine and the head coach of the Japanese Olympic team came up to me with a translator, said something and the translator said, he wants you to know that you're gonna be the next Olympic champion on high bar. Whoa. And <laughs> So I tried this crazy routine at the Olympics that people said was impossible. I even added a few extra skills that I had never done before just because I wanted to do the most outrageous routine ever. And I didn't win gold, but I got a silver medal on the high bar with something that people said wasn't doable. And yeah. now I kind of changed the game. People, if you watch gymnastics now, most of the athletes on the high bar are doing routines that are like mine. I, I kind of pioneered something yeah. new. And so um, it was it's, just crazy. It's crazy like that in sports. Like there's this big barrier and then someone like you does something or like I've seen it in the, the extreme sports where someone does like a double, a backflip was a big thing, then a double backflip. And as soon as someone's done it, then there's a wave of people behind them who are just doing these, these skills and doing like routines in certain ways. Yeah. Wow. I want to talk to you briefly before we move on about, you know, 13, the youngest person in history to land that trick and things. 
about fear around that because generally gymnasts and all the things they're trying to do they've got an interesting relationship with fear and obviously they're going to fall a lot but then within that environment still for then you to kind of stick your head up even more and kind of take it up a notch what was your thoughts around fear and the challenge with that and being scared to try things and not wanting to kill yourself and things <laughs> like that and, and even injury like i'm interested in your approach to fear from that time and and how you apply that in life as well so there was always a, a fear. I always had a healthy fear of what I was doing. I just had a lot of trust in myself. And I won't lie, I got hurt on that skill a lot. Mm. Um, if you don't let go of the bar at the right time, you land on your face, your chest, you hit your legs on the bar. Um, there's a lot of ways to get injured doing it. But um, I always knew that if I was patient and took my time, I could overcome that fear. And I think some gymnasts will disagree with me. But I truly believe that the easiest event to be good on in men's gymnastics is the high bar. Mm. But it's the hardest event to be good on because it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you're scared, you won't be good. So mm. the difference between the best at the Olympics and the guys that aren't is really who can overcome the fear. Um, and so for me, I always calculate. <laughs> this sounds bad, but what's the worst that could happen if I try this yeah. right now? Um, and I think, okay, here's the worst that could happen, but here's the greatness that could come from it. If the great part outweighs the bad part, I'm going to try it. I'm going to go for it. Um, and so I have a very different approach to things. Um, my, I always, I feel like I have the same level of fear as everybody else. I'm just able to convince myself that it doesn't matter and just try it anyways. And I go kind of go about that in my, my life as an entrepreneur, as a speaker. Um, if the benefit outweighs the you know the detriments i'm gonna i'm gonna go for it and i i really think things through and then it's like okay once i've made my decision no stopping i gotta go you talked about like someone being you know very good at it and then it's if they're fearing it there's going to be a problem it's not going to go well is there a time when obviously you've got the skills you're banging out these legendary routines where you let the fear maybe just get the better of you in a routine or have you always smashed it when it comes to competition time has there ever been a basically an off day at the office even though you could oh. physically do it yeah totally you know yeah. um i've had so many times where i wondered like is this worth it i just got hurt should i do it again um every time i ever got injured on that skill if it wasn't an injury that was bad enough to where i needed like surgery or i broke something if yeah. like one time for instance i did the skill i did it completely wrong i did a double backflip and hit both my shins on the metal bar and, oh. split. <laughs> and I, split, I split my shins open. Well, I'm sitting on the mats with my legs bleeding and it hurts so bad. And I, I'll never forget thinking like, I'm so scared now. And before I could really kind of um, realize how scared I was, I wrapped my legs up. I got back up on the bar about a minute and a half later and I tried it again before all of those thoughts and doubts crept back into my head. Yeah. And again, all my teammates were like, what are you doing? You're <laughs> um, but well, like I said, imagine if you'd smash your shins again the second time after them. Oh, that, <laughs> that would have been a major backfire. <laughs> but um, my, the point was, I think so oftentimes we make mistakes and we do things in our lives that hurt. They hurt us um, emotionally or uh, mentally. And we tend to step back for too long and we let it kind of stir in our minds too much. Yeah. If we are not too badly mentally or emotionally hurt, get back up and try it again. 
Um, and that's always been like my motto, my way of doing things because in sports and life in general, things like it's not always going to work the way we want. Sometimes we're going to get injured and you, you've got to get back up there and go again before your mind starts to, starts to tell you you can't do it. Who inspired you or helped awaken your alpha? certain person who said the right thing at the right time i mean the japanese was it japanese or chinese coming over and saying that you olympic champ future olympic champion yeah. it could be someone from afar as well it could have just been a gymnast or nothing to do with gymnastics yeah so my very first coach that i ever had it was a gentleman named jim colhane he was an olympian from the from the 70s and i'll never forget a moment i was only six years old and Jim pulled me aside and he was a very hard coach, like very hard on his athletes. And he yelled at me all the time. Uh, also because I never listened. Like I was just <laughs> bouncing off the walls and he, for whatever reason, he pulled me aside one day and he said, Jonathan, I want you to know that I see something in you. You're not traditionally what people look for in a gymnast, but I see something and I want you to know that, if you stick with this sport long enough, you'll be great. He said, I don't know what that greatness looks like, but you're going to do something special. And that's kind of sparked something in my mind where when a coach who I looked up to that was an Olympian tells me, if I just do something long enough, that I'll be good, that I can be great. Um, that's kind of what drove me for a really long time. Yeah. When it comes to the Olympics and getting a medal that day, that, that, that experience, talk to us a little bit about the pressure or how you felt about it. The tunnel vision of obviously going for, going for gold ultimately and yeah. fourth place is a really bad spot for an athlete because of the medals. I want to know about your uh, experience in silver as opposed to gold and, you know, because it's all about perspective. So talk to yeah. us about that, that time, that experience. How close was it? Because yeah. I know if you fall, you're going from silver medal to probably nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the best way I can explain the Olympics is, is two words. It's an electric moment and it's filled with panic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll never forget walking into that arena of 40,000 people with my teammates and thinking like how just incredible it was that we were Olympians. It's something we worked for our whole life. Thousands of gymnasts want to be Olympians in the United States, but only six of us got to do it. So after I was done soaking in the moment, I, then it's like reality hits. Oh my gosh, I've got to compete at the Olympics. And if I mess up, it doesn't just hurt me, it hurts my teammates. And um, we weren't really supposed to be a very good team in 2008. We had two of the best gymnasts in the world that were on our team. They were twin brothers, Paul Hom and Morgan Hom. But right before the Olympics, they both got hurt. Yeah, so Paul broke his hand. Morgan injured his ankle. So we had an amazing team, and then we brought in our reserve athletes, and then we had a terrible team. Um, and we weren't expected to even make it into the final round of competition, in which they take eight teams. Well, then we placed seventh. Did that take the pressure off in any way or not really? Or how did that play into it? Um, it did and it didn't. It took the pressure off because nobody believed that we could medal. No mm. one thought we had a chance at meddling anymore. But then we were still nervous because we didn't want to look, we didn't want to embarrass the United States, which yeah. has been a powerhouse of a country in gymnastics. And so we're thinking like, okay, guys, we kind of felt like some backups. Like we were just the backup. <laughs> um and when we started competing, it really was, you know, we were the underdogs. And even though nobody believed in us, we believed in our 
and who we were, what we stood for. And it was something special just kind of came over the team. We really kind of lit on fire. And I, after our fourth routine, our fourth event, we were in first place. We were beating China and Japan, the two best teams in the world. Wow. And we dropped back, but we barely beat the Germans. They ended up fourth place, that dreaded fourth place yeah. spot. <laughs> um, and to win that bronze medal to us felt like gold. It yeah. was gold to us. It was incredible. And then a few days later when I won the silver medal, um, again, like I wasn't... What were the expectations going into that for, for you individually and the, the differences in mentality between a, obviously a team event and then kind of your thing? I prefer team competition all day over individual. I just, when I'm by myself, I don't feel the energy from my teammates. Um, and so when I went to the high bar final, I, again, I wasn't, I was doing this crazy routine. Um, but I knew I needed to do more to have a shot at winning. So I actually tried a brand new routine at the Olympics, which is kind of unheard of. Um, and my coaches actually told me not to do it. Mm. And they were like, hey, you've had a great Olympics. We don't want you to fall in front of billions of people around the world. Just do what you know how to do. And if you don't meddle, you don't meddle. And I just, like, I wasn't okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I went for something brand new. That routine that I won my silver medal on, it's the first time and only time I ever did that routine. Um, and the difference between the gold and silver was one tiny mistake. Um, when I landed, what was that mistake? I was going to say, I bet you know it well. For our listeners that don't know much about gymnastics, when you do a dismount off of the apparatus, you're supposed to stick your landing, your feet hit the ground and you don't move your feet. Well, I moved my right foot about an inch forward just to catch my, just to balance myself. And the Chinese gymnast who won gold scored a 16.2. I scored a 16.175, which is absolutely nothing. That's like my pinky toe moved just a little bit too much when I was in the air and the judge didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so happy with winning silver. And then in the flip side, I've seen, I've seen, you know, depending on what someone expects or if you're so like that, talking about that pinky, if you focus on that, that's going to be like, oh, so how was your mentality around the silver, but also winning the silver, but then losing the gold by a pinky movement kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So what you just said is exactly how I process it. You said, how do you process winning the silver versus losing the gold? And I never feel, I've never told myself I lost anything. Yeah. I only, I only won something. Um, I won that silver medal. I accomplished that. There was nothing that I lost in that moment. Um, and that's really how I've processed it. I was a guy who wasn't supposed to win anything. And I went in there, did the greatest routine of my life. And I was able to walk out of the Olympics with an Olympic silver medal and call myself the second best gymnast in the world. And I focus on the positive and not the negative. Good. Um, I, was glad, I was glad to hear because, you know, high level sports people and that environment can be brutal. And oh, yeah. you, you know, you'd like to think everyone thinks like that, but I know they don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, there was a, there was a, a legendary gymnast from uh, Bulgaria, a guy named Jordan Jovchev, who in 2004 did a ring routine, which many people know the rings as like one of the most iconic events in gymnastics. He did a ring routine, in my opinion, and 99% of the world's opinion, Jordan should have won rings. Um, did a, all, a nearly flawless routine, should have maybe scored a 10.0, but he ended up not winning. He got the silver medal. And I'll never forget his interview impacted me in a huge way. The, um, the reporter went up to him and said, Jordan, you should have won gold. And we all feel like you should have won gold. How do you feel? And all he said was, it's okay. I needed to be better. 
And so instead of saying, oh, yes, I, I know I deserve gold. I, uh, I, you know, I'm the best. He just, in his mind, he got the silver medal. That's what it is, what it is. And he just needs to be better. And I loved you, that yeah. he was so humble about it. I think everyone can take that from, in all aspects of life. I absolutely, absolutely love that. And then, you, you know, focus on other things as well. It's, it's much high level sport. That's, it's subjective as well, which yeah. is interesting with your judges, which is, which is always in the hands of the judges. And it's not like yeah. it's a, you know, a boxing match or a UFC where you can just knock someone out yeah. <laughs> and get the judges out of it. You, the judges yeah. are always in there. So we're going to move into the alpha round. And I like to start this off with, is there a quote that was inspirational to you or just a favorite quote or just one that springs to mind when someone like me puts you on the spot like this? Yeah, so um, one of the quotes that I wrote in my book recently that I think about a lot, um, there's a, one of my favorite movies, it's called Miracle. Have you ever heard of the movie? It's, it's yes, about- is that with Mark Wahlberg? Uh, no, I'm thinking it's, no, we- uh, oh, I can't think of his name right now, but yeah, I, um, it's about the 1980 US USA hockey team beating. Oh, no, no, yeah, I'm mixing up with there's another one. No, 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 there's another one where he's like a 30 year old bartender and he, be, he gets in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. yeah. So this, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, this, I got the two mixed up. Sorry. I think, I think that's invincible. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, um, so in the movie Miracle, the head coach of the team, right before Team USA went to go play, the, at the time they were the Soviet Union, um, they had never beat them ever. And he looked at the team and he said, guys, we might play them 10 times and they beat us nine, but not this one. And when I think about that, that's such a great quote for life when you're up against a lot of odds. Okay, I might get beaten 10 times, but not this time. And that was really kind of what I was thinking to myself before I competed on the high bar, before I competed with my team. Like, think about all the times that I've made mistakes and fallen but not this time. And it's just one of my favorite, favorite moments in a movie and quote. Is there a particular book that was impactful for you or inspirational or, or just one that you like to gift or recommend to other people? Well, apart from uh, your own, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, where I am right now with my career, I love uh, being up against a lot of odds type of things. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever heard of the book Lone Survivor, I've uh, is, is that I've seen the movie. <laughs> I don't know if it's so, the same one. <laughs> I know. I, I, so, of course, me being from the United States, uh, I have a lot of pride in our U.S. military, but it's yeah. about an, a U.S. Navy SEAL, Special Forces, yeah. and him and his three teammates go uh, on a mission, and he's the only survivor. So this is, this is the one they made a movie out of? Yeah, they made, that's with Mark yeah. Wahlberg, yeah. actually. Yeah, that's the one with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> yeah, that's actually Mark Wahlberg. No, I, I haven't read the book, but yeah, I've, I've seen the movie. Phenomenal book of someone who just refused to quit. Is there a resource or anything you use or a particular habit that is kind of essential to you or you think is a good recommend that if you don't do it or you don't use it, you know, you, you may be not firing all cylinders? My greatest habit that I have that I think has propelled me forward is that I'm not afraid to ask for help. Um, I am one of those people that if I need something, I ask. If I need um, if I need support, I tell people, Hey, I'm struggling right now. Can you help me out with this? Um, I, I surround myself with mentors. I believe it's extremely important to have a mentor in your life. Someone you can go to in a time of struggle, somebody that has maybe been in your shoes before to find someone that has done what you want to do and make, make, see if you can make them available to you. Definitely. 
who from your network do you think would be a great interview for the Awakening Alpha, both in terms of what they can share and you know that they're a fit for a show called Awaken Your Alpha? Yeah, um, the first person that pops into my head is one of my best friends and teammates from my entire career. His name is Chris Brooks. And Chris is currently one of the coaches at a, uh, a Division I collegiate uh, school right now. He's at uh, the University of Arkansas. And he has a phenomenal story, a phenomenal outlook on life and success. He should have quit the sport when he was 17, when he injured his arm so badly that the doctors almost amputated it. Oh, my him, God. Yeah, told him he should never do gymnastics again. Life told him to just stop and give up. And then at 30 years old, almost 31, which is way too old for gymnastics, he made his first Olympic team, and he was the leader of the team. Wow. Um, and him and I grew up together. We trained together. And he, his story is so inspiring. Wow. What a recommendation. Uh, yeah, if you could please, you know, put in a good word and connect us. But um, what is the best way people can connect with you if they want to find out more? And please tell us about your book. So um, I'm, I'm pretty active on social media, on Twitter. Um, I'm J underscore Horton 11. 11 was my competition number my whole life. Um, and then also on Instagram, it's just J Horton 11. And then if people want to follow my fan page on Facebook, and I also, I give people my email address. I like to be one-on-one -on -one connection with people. So it's info.jonathanhorton at gmail.com. And then yes, my book is available for purchase. I have two books now. One of them is kind of a personal development book of individual stories from my career that were very impactful. And then my second book is called Falling Forward. It's my autobiography. It's my entire life that I've put together. How old are you now? Because if anyone isn't, is just listening to this, you still, yeah. I, I know it's, it's different in gymnastics, a different world. You still look you know, reasonably young. Um, how old are yeah. you now? When did you retire? I'm assuming because <laughs> you're writing books and stuff now. So talk to us about the decision to retire or when to retire and also having you know had olympic medal success in your first olympics and then obviously training for four years going to the next olympics and that experience because again people always like to think success you know general progression and so people i don't know if there was people saying oh next time it's got to be gold or things like that and talk to us about that yeah so um i'll be 34 by the end of december my, my birthday is december 31st so uh, yeah, I've got a baby face. People look at me <laughs> like, no way, you're not 34. Um, but I retired when I was 32. And um, for those people that don't follow gymnastics, 32 is like 100 years old in gymnastics. <laughs> um, most people are done with gymnastics around 22, 23. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a solid like, length of a gymnastic career, blimey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how was and, the body, uh, how was the, was the body starting to ache a little bit more or did it recover so quick or did you I, feel, well, did you feel about a hundred compared to say like some 16 year olds, 18 year olds and, and younger yeah. probably? In the <laughs> well, as I got older, I started to feel terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I was, I always considered myself pretty bulletproof until I was about 26. I had my mm. first major injury when I was 26 years old. I had to have three foot surgeries. And after that, my injuries really snowballed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had, then I had a, a major reconstructive shoulder operation. And then one year later, the other shoulder. Yeah, and one thing leads to the next, doesn't it? It just gets you out of whack. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, similar experiences. It's very frustrating. <laughs> and I had, I had six major uh, operations in four years. And I would still be doing gymnastics today if my body felt good because I love the sport. But it's just, um, you can't stop time, right? Uh, it's just what our bodies do. 
And it was hard for me because I was trying to make a third Olympics in 2016, but nine months before the Olympic games, I had my final shoulder injury that just kept me from coming back. Um, and it, it was hard because I never got that Olympic gold medal. Like I wanted, mm. I went to the 2012 Olympics and team USA was arguably the best team in the world. We won the qualifications and then we went to the finals and everybody fell apart. Um, the pressure really just got to us. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like comparing the two teams that you were in from the them Olympics and kind yeah. of the differences and how it turns out. It's very interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. In 2012, we won the qualifications by a landslide. We had never won by that much before. And in our minds, we were about to be Olympic champions. And then we just, I don't know if it was the pressure or what it was in the moment, but all of our team just fell apart. We ended up fifth place. So I walked away from the second Olympics with nothing and then didn't make the third Olympics. And it was really hard to transition out of my career to know that I didn't accomplish everything that I wanted. But again, I have to focus on the positives. Yeah. And, and how was that decision to to call it a day and transition basically into a, into a new life. And I know I had issues with identity in terms of being a pole vaulter. And then I, I had my injuries all hit me around 28 and then I had to, had to change. And I felt very lost because I didn't really know it was coming as well, but you must've obviously you said time is coming. And you, yeah. So how was that transition? Had you thought about it much and was it harder or better than you thought it might be? It was significantly harder than I thought it would be. Um, I think you, you talk to any athlete that did a sport for a significant amount of time, it does, it becomes your identity. It's what you feel you are, um, you are that sport. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll be very candid and transparent with you. There was a time where after my final injury, I found myself sitting on my couch watching TV. I was taking pain medication and drinking Jack Daniels and my newborn daughter I couldn't hold her for the first like five months of her life. And wow. I, I was sitting there thinking, I'm worthless right now. I have nothing to offer this world. I can't do gymnastics. I can't be a good parent. What am I supposed to do? And I kind of hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And I think that at some point in all of our lives, we're going to hit rock bottom. It just, it's just what happens. And that was the moment where I, had, I really discovered what I was made of. It wasn't gymnastics. And I discovered my strength. And I was able to transition into not um, the self-pity, but then figuring out, I, I, I basically realized that there were other people that were going through what I was in different capacities and that I could inspire them and share with them that they're not alone. And that's when I wanted to become a speaker. That's when I started to um, you know, look for ways of sharing my story through books and motivational speaking. And I just, um, I think everyone's got a story to tell and you just have to take the time to figure out how to tell it. And I, I completely relate and agree. Absolutely love it. Well, Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been great, great talking with you. Cheers. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. This episode is sponsored by The Arena, the men's only membership community that really will enhance all and everything you're doing. Dig deeper into the effective model, philosophy, and strategies. Ultimately, it's that mindset and philosophy to fulfillment and the art of living. That's mental toughness and strength going forward as a man. Stepping into the arena was what it's all about. This is going to be 10x the value. And for the founding members, please do go and check this out. This is a huge opportunity to get in at the ground floor. That's ayalpha.com forward slash arena. All I ask at this stage 
is give this your attention. Go and have a look at it. Collect the 10 Alpha Laws of Power, my free giveaway. That's something I put a lot of thought into and will be useful to you. Standalone will be useful to you and I think will help as you move forwards. And also, if you don't relate to that, this is very not likely not the arena for you. But if you do resonate with some of the points on there, you're exactly the person I'm talking to and exactly the person who can be coming and be part of this team.